We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Thanks for coming this morning. Um, if you were here last time when I did this, we started working through my personal doctrinal statement. Of course, that's a help for me, but the intention is that it would be a blessing to you as well as we uh, do a little bit of a different format uh, using PowerPoint, but then also, again, studying through the doctrinal statement. And uh, part of the, the uh, opportunity in this, not just for me, but for you, is to uh, to see some where some of these proof texts are and that you can kind of log away in your head or maybe scratch them down in your Bible as good verses to go to when talking about these various uh, doctrinal subjects. It also helps because if you see a typo or something like that or think of another verse that would be helpful, uh, that would be a help to me. So don't be afraid to come up to me afterward, especially all you grammarians. Uh, I'm not necessarily one of those, so you can be a help in that way. But uh, I hope if you were here last time, it was a blessing, and uh, again, this time it will be as well. One of the things I'm excited about this morning as we talk about uh, the Godhead is looking at some of the attributes of God. And I've always um, said this to folks, uh, you know, when we talk about the relevancy of the Old Testament and studying through uh, the Old Testament, uh, you can learn a lot about the, the nature of God by looking at the Old Testament and who he is. And so uh, this morning, I hope that you will find that to be true as we look at some of these texts. And if nothing else, just meditate on some of the verses that we'll look at this morning and think on them and allow them to uh, challenge your thinking, to encourage you, uh, to cause you to be in awe of our God and who he is. And so I hope that in that way it is a blessing. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer before we look at this this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now as we consider who you are, Lord, that we might be uh, in humble reverence, Lord, honor you and revere you and to give you glory and exalt your name, which is due all exaltation and honor in our worship even here this morning as we gather together. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Last time we looked at the uh, section of the Holy Scriptures. If you're interested in that and you weren't here, um, I'd be willing to talk more about that with you if you'd like. But this morning we move on to the section of the Godhead. And sometimes this is a very small section. It's kind of a preface to then looking at the three persons of the Trinity, of course the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, And so sometimes people will include this in one of those sections, but I've Uh, kind of drawn it out as a distinct section. So we'll begin by looking or considering the triune God and the three persons of that triune God. I say here, I believe that there is but one living and true God. I'm just going to ask, Becky, am I in your way? Can you see? Okay. All right. Eternally existing in three uncreated persons. God the Father, of course, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
like last time, we don't unfortunately have time to look at all these verses, but we'll consider uh, a few of them here this morning. For instance, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, uh, Moses writes, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, an important aspect to draw from this verse is that God is not only one and that he is the triune God, but also that he is exclusively God. There is no other God. And so that's also something important to notice about this verse. Uh, it's not solely talking about the fact that he is triune, that he is one God, but that he is exclusively God. There is no other God. For some of you high schoolers out here, I hope this is good. I know you guys went through the biblical foundations for living material, so maybe some of this is review, but hopefully it's a good refresher as well. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, Moses writes, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. His name, and he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. If you remember the context here, you know Moses is being told to go, and Moses says, well, who do I tell them that you are? And so this is God's name, I am. He exists. Matthew 28, 19. Uh, this verse is simply proving that uh, there is a triune God. In fact, all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here in one verse. There's other verses like that, but this is a good example of it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God, that is God the Father, in the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Really, this is kind of a closing salutation, but it's a good one because it includes all three persons of the Trinity and it's helpful in that, in that way to think about it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Now, it's not super helpful because we don't have the context here, but if you kind of go back and look at the antecedent of who these people are, it says, but, the, but to the Son, he says, well, who is he? He is God the Father. So God the Father is speaking to the Son here, and he says to the Son, your throne, O God. Well, that's interesting because... The Father now is calling the Son God. And so we see this kind of inner uh, Trinitarian you know, discourse going on and where, wherein the Father is speaking to the Son and he calls him God. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we for him and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. And so, again, just reviewing, looking at these verses to understand that we're talking about a triune God. You know, that doesn't mean that we're polytheists, uh, and, uh, but it also doesn't mean we're, we're modalists, where there's one God, and he just kind of presents himself in different modes. There is indeed three persons to this triune God. Move on to then the harmony of the Godhead. How does the, how does the Godhead function together? How do they interrelate to one another? And so that's what we're really considering in this 
uh, portion here. I say, I believe that each divine person of the Godhead is involved in the works of the Godhead. So all that he does, creating, sustaining, uh, saving, in such a way as to be in, a to- be in total harmony uh, with one another. There we go. I already have a typo. Typo. So, considering some of these verses then, Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created. Who is him in this instance? Well, if you go back a couple verses, you'll learn or realize that it's the Lord Jesus Christ, not necessarily God the Father. Of course, he was involved, but we're specifically noting that Christ was involved in creation. So when we think of Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that is a, uh, the triune God working together, functioning together to uh, create the world in which we live. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, or we could say through Christ and for Christ. So that's helpful to, to understand in that way. John 1, three. All things were made through him. Who is him? Jesus, the word. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Hebrews 9.16, For where there is a testament, there is all, must also of necessity be the death of the testator. John 5.17, But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. We could say also. And so when God is accomplishing his purposes, it's not just the Father operating and functioning. It's also the Son as well uh, in perfect unity and uh, to accomplish the God's purposes. John 8.29, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And so the Son is always obedient to the will of the Father. And uh, what a wonderful example that is as we seek to follow Christ, to do his will, or even within the marriage relationship, as we seek to please the Lord in that way. And so the Son is always doing the Father's will. Within the Trinity, the Father eternally acts as we might call an initiator, the Son as the revealer, and the Spirit as the facilitator, permitting an eternal functional or what we might call economic relationship that exists in perfect eternal harmony without any implication of inferiority in essence. So if we can boil that down simply, let's say it this way, that they each have their part. They each have their purpose and function. And so we allow for this kind of uh, functional subordination when it comes to their relationship, that you know, God is the initiator, the Son is the revealer. The Son, of course, is subordinate in some sense because he says he does the will of the Father. But when we say that, we're not saying that they are, uh, when it comes to their very essence or nature, that they're subordinate. They are equal in their essence. And so, but we can allow for or permit, permit a kind of uh, eternal, functional, or economic relationship in which there is a hierarchy, a subordination um, 
within the Godhead. Um, I think I have some verses after this. While each person of the Godhead is eternally independent, none of the persons ever act in his own self-interest to the exclusion of the others. John fourteen twenty eight, you have, cre- you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Interesting verse, but again, the Son's not saying that uh, God is greater in his essence or nature. They are all equally the same in that, in that manner, but when it comes to their function or their, you know, their uh, economic relationship, there is this kind of subordination that even the Son admits to, uh, that the Father is greater than he. John 5:19 When Jesus answered and said then Jesus answered and said to them most assuredly I say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son also does in like manner Again we see this uh, this relationship existing wherein uh, the father and the son don't act apart from themselves or apart from each other at the same time there is this kind of subordination. John eight twenty eight. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. Very, very interesting to think on. First Corinthians eleven three. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God, God the Father. So we see these kind of helpful, three helpful relationships here. Relationship of uh, man and Christ, the woman, a woman and man, and then Christ and God. Move on then to the attributes of the, God, of the Godhead. Who is God? How do we understand him and describe him? Well, I believe the attributes of God are those things which help us describe the character and essence of God or nature of God. These attributes are not possessed by God, but constitute his very nature. And that's a helpful distinction that's important to make, that we're not describing God as if he has love or has holiness he is love he is holiness and so um, when we talk about the attributes of God we're talking about his very nature not just simply characteristics that he has that he can either you know gain or lose you know along the way our character can change over time hopefully for the better but God's character his nature his essence is immutable it's always the same and so you know, this maybe as we look at this, this isn't the sum total of who he is because we really can't understand him in that way. We can't know him fully in that manner, but these help us to understand who he is and how we are then to relate to him as the perfect holy Godhead. I believe that God is independent, totally non contingent on anything external to himself. 
with respect both to his existence and his activities. And so he's not, you know, contingent on man's decisions. He's not, uh, you know, waiting to see what man's going to do and then see how he's going to respond. Of course, that relates to his, you know, sovereign decree that he's, you know, he's predestined all things to happen according to his will. And so there's nothing that's outside of his plan. He's not contingent upon, you know, any man or his decision in in respect to his existence and his activities here on earth and in, in heaven as well. Exodus 3.14, and God said to Moses, uh, again, this is one we already looked at, but I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Psalm 115.3, but our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. He is non-contingent upon any activity of man. He does exactly what he pleases. He's not bound by man or by angels or Satan. Daniel 4.35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can counsel God nor restrain his hand. Isn't that a blessing to know that, to be reminded of that? We're not, uh, you know, we're not in the hands of man, or we're not afraid that you know, man can restrain the hand of God and cause his will to not be accomplished. You know, he will continue to save people, build his church. He will keep us in his hand. Romans nine fifteen and 16. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Interesting context here, um, illustrating that God can save whomever he wishes. You know, unconditional election. It's not up to us, uh, nor can we coerce God in any way. And through this example here, we see that God does act unrestrained. He has mercy on whomever he wills and has compassion on whomever he wills. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. All right, we move on then to some of these attributes. Uh, We don't, unfortunately, have time to look at a verse uh, for every one of these, but uh, you could uh, look at some of these later. I can get you a copy of them if you'd like. We begin with noting that simply that God is spirit. God is spirit, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, self-existent, infinite, perfect. Psalm 139, 1 through 2 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. He knows all things. He is omniscient. That's what that means. He knows all things. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You know, that can be, that can be positive and negative, can it? Right? God knows our heart. He knows our sin. And so we do well then to confess it to him, you know, because he already knows it. But it can be, you know, taken in a positive manner as well, is that uh, he knows our every activity. He knows our every step. And uh, he knows our worries and our anxieties, and he cares for us. 
Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth. By your great power is omnipotence and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. John 5, 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Speaking to their self-existence. God is also wise. He is eternal. He is immutable, meaning he does not change. He is incomprehensible. Um, A good phrase to kind of think when you talk about his incomprehensibility is that we can know God truly. We can know him in a saving way and having that relationship. But we really cannot know God fully. We do not know all his thoughts, all his plans even, you know, his unrevealed plans, but we can know him truly. Daniel 2.20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He is all wise, he is almighty. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. That's a wonderful reminder, too, as we look through the Old Testament and even the New Testament, as, as we see how God has acted with his people in the past, we can be reassured that he will stay the same. He will act accordingly with us as well. James 1.17, you're probably quite familiar with this verse. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is unchangeable. He is immutable. He always acts the same according to his perfect will. There's so many of these, we can't keep them all on one slide, and so you'll notice we're still in the same section of God's attributes here. God is holy, He is truth, He is love, righteousness, and justice. That includes that God rewards the righteous, and He also punishes the wicked as well, if not now, one day when they stand before Him. 1 Peter 1 15 to 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. There's a good exhortation for us this morning. Be holy as our God is holy. Deuteronomy 32.4 He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Wow, there's a lot that helps us understand who God is just in that verse alone. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God, uh, God sees what we do, and he rewards us. Those things that are done in secret, he, uh, we know from other scripture that he will reward openly one day. And so uh, we are, when we are ministering to others, we are ministering for his name's sake. And God sees that. He's pleased. 
God is faithfulness, He is mercy, and He is grace. Thank the Lord for that. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, He will also make the way of escape that you may also that you may be able to bear it. Psalm 86:15 But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering or patient and abundant in mercy and truth. There's a number of attributes just right there, all collected in one one psalm. As spirit, God is living, of course. He's incorporeal, that is, doesn't have a body like man. He is invisible. He possesses intelligence, emotion, and will. Jeremiah 10.10, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Colossians 1.15 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, specifically speaking of, of the Son, who is the express image of the Father. Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 3.19 and 20 The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down the dew. I believe that God is radiantly beautiful in the totality of all his attributes, so that he is deserving of all worship, reverence, adoration, trust, and service that creation can possibly Render. I don't think I have the verse up there, so I'm going to turn to it. Psalm 8. We actually studied this uh, last Saturday, not yesterday, but uh, the week before. And I was thinking about it. I said, well, this, this really does relate to that, that last sentence that we read there, that God is deserving of all worship because his name is excellent. His name is great. And Psalm 8 teaches us this. Let me read that to you here this morning. David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that, your, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? In the Son of Man that you visit him. For you have made him, that is man, a little lower than the angels, and have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Think of the dominion man- mandate, or to have dominion over the earth. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name 
in all the earth. And so our response to all of that should be to worship the Lord, to revere him and give him due glory because his name indeed is excellent. Whether or not all creation uh, bows to the Lord and recognizes that, they will one day and all creation will say, how excellent is your name. Luke 19.40 But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, that is, uh, the, the people who are welcoming God or the Son into Jerusalem, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because God is deserving of worship. So the stones would cry out in worship. Matthew twenty one sixteen, uh, And said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? Uh, the context here is that uh, Jesus has just cleansed the temple and the, uh, the children are singing... Uh, Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees are upset at this uh, because they're equating uh, Christ to be the Messiah, to be God. And Jesus said to them, Yes, you have, never, have you never heard? Out of the mouths, mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise. Even the little children know that God is worthy of all worship. They praise him. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. That's all I have for this morning, but I would welcome if anyone has questions, thoughts, uh, do you like to share perhaps even a verse that comes to mind that relates to what we've talked about. Yes, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. So essence is another simple way, maybe not simple, more complicated way of saying his nature, who he is, uh, the sum total of, of who he is. So yeah, simply you could just think of his nature, how we uh, understand him. Becky. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts, questions, before we close this morning? Ben. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. I don't have it specifically laid out in my doctrinal statement, but if you take away any one of these attributes, God ceases to exist to be who he is. (laughs) Uh, And so, uh, you know, and with the fact that he's immutable, he's unchangeable. He will always be these things. Thank you, Ben. Anything else? Yeah, meaning he is those things? Is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, I haven't quite trying to think through exactly what you mean by that. Um, again, I would say it describes more than just like these are character traits. This is who he is. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe can you expound a little bit on your, 
that distinction? Yeah, I'd have to think a little bit more on that, Anne. Uh, and oh, yeah. Uh, I would take that verse to be talking about that uh, because he's he's come in flesh, in body. We see all of the essence of who God is. And so it's, 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 I think that verse is more just speaking to the fact that it, Christ came in flesh and in his body we see the, the whole essence of who God is. You know, he is, the, he is the, uh, the mirror of who God is, the express image. Um, but yeah, let me think a little bit more about that, And You did jog my memory to, to just make this note. When we talk about these attributes, God always is acting or he is always perfect and righteous. He's not as if he is, you know, in one instance, he's acting out his justice. In another instance, he's acting out his love. He is, he is perfectly both at the same time. He is all of those things. He is, you know, lovingly just. Uh, and he is, you know, perfectly holy. He's all of these all at once. So, All right. Well, thanks. If you want to talk more about that afterwards, I'd be happy to do that. Um, But let's close in a word of prayer, and then we can enjoy some fellowship here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. I pray that uh, as we've considered some of these these, uh, doctrinal matters, Lord, that for us, Lord, it would be more than just uh, head knowledge, facts, but, Lord, that it would be uh, transformative in our lives, Lord, cause us to think about God, perhaps differently than we have before because some of these things we haven't considered to think and hopefully, Lord, then to revere him more and to desire to worship him. Lord, as we've even considered in some of these verses where there's exhortations for us on the basis of who God is, that we, for instance, be holy as he is holy. Help us to endeavor by the spirit's strength to be more and more holy every day. We ask for your help in this in Christ's name. Amen.